This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. I want to start the program by thanking all of our loyal listeners and subscribers to Sovereign Nations over the years. And especially I want to thank those of you that have provided the funds that keep Sovereign Nations running. Funds that are crucial to ensure that we continue to bring you cutting-edge information to help you navigate the ideological battles that we face. Now, we are approaching some rather important milestones in our organization's five-year history. And these milestones should be celebrated and noted. In particular, as the formal start of the resistance to the attempted destruction of national sovereignty, the battle against critical race theory, and the resistance against the coming Fourth Industrial Revolution. But it is also the time that I want to encourage you to take a personal survey. Because I know that many of you that are listening today utterly rejected the warnings that I provided five years ago. And then maybe you joined in with the crowd that called my warnings conspiracy theories. As I warned about the encroachment of the World Economic Forum. And you were saying, gosh, what even is that? Who cares? As I warned about Open Societies Foundations and other NGOs. As I warned about critical race theory and the ideologies that orbit around the heresy of critical race theory. As I warned about the progressive direction of evangelicalism. And you said, Mike... Those men would never do that to the church. And now you know better. And as I warned that, we were in the midst of an American cultural revolution. And as I warned that Western civilization was under the mass psychosis of reflexivity, combined with the fertile fallacy. But somewhere along the way, you could no longer deny what was happening around you. You couldn't dismiss the entire shift in the moves of government of social media, of education, of corporations, of religions that were somehow ideologically and politically united to take us all down an encroaching road to totalitarianism. When was your red pill moment? When was it that the cognitive fog of your mind cleared and you were able to see that there is a concerted effort to usher totalitarianism into the United States. And as you now begin to turn your radar on, and as you gaze around and survey the last two years of what has happened to all of us, and where you are now, and what the state and corporations are telling you will be our future, when the state, combined with the corporate oligarchs and financial institutions, determine what you own, what you say, what you may believe, where you may go. Well, then you have become a slave to total state control. Terrifying citizens into compliance and forcing citizens into a dependence for their survival are the hallmarks of all totalitarian regimes through the centuries. Government power, you see, rests on citizens' acceptance that only the state can tackle big problems. So government has a natural incentive to invent big problems for its citizens. You know, never let a crisis go to waste. 
And so people will rally around the common cause. And this isn't just limited for times of war. But you make everything basically a wartime scenario. Governments recently, of course, have used COVID-19 to mandate personal health treatments, lock down entire economies, censor dissenting points of view, and keep people monitored or under house arrest. Governments have used apocalyptic tales of climate change to push for greater state control over industry. Governments have declared emergencies over systemic racism and transgender rights to assert control over private companies. Governments insist that misinformation is so deadly that censorship must be embraced. And this is why you have former Fabian President Barack Obama out on the trail now, pushing censorship and control over social media and suggesting an end to free and open speech. Because news and information must be shaped and formed by the technocratic class for the masses. It all must be carefully created alchemical propaganda, and it must result in a response of fear in the population. The population, the citizenry that they wish to control. Fear is a tool for maintaining control, so governments mass-produce fear for their own benefit. And so, there is a reason Western governments have begun aggressively attacking free speech as misinformation or disinformation. The power to communicate ideas to the broader public threatens government's monopoly over official truths, and then traditional forms of mass communication— you know, such as newspapers, radio, broadcasts, and television shows, are operated by just a few corporations. So few that the state has no problem influencing, if not outright controlling, the information disseminated to the public. Now, in contrast, social media platforms and independent publishing sites permit citizens, in theory, to bypass state censors, regulators, and other information gatekeepers to communicate directly with large numbers of other citizens. And this is why governments spend so much time targeting free speech as hate speech or harmful information that must be banned. This is why government pressure ideologically aligned tech companies to censor free speech on their behalf. This is why now free speech is mocked as an unhealthy citizen obsession openly in the media. I mean, this is really happening. They are mocking free speech. And you would have laughed off those trying to control free speech just 10 years ago as a joke. Like, what are you, some sort of Nazi? But not today. But you can't deny what happened before Trump took office. You can't deny the takeover of our medical establishment by the Obama administration. And as well, by the way, the Republicans let them do it. But what started with Obamacare and socialized medicine quickly expanded with Democrat cities' experimentation with COVID-19 digital passports is set to go into overdrive with the introduction of central bank digital currencies. And if government-issued cyber monies replace the relative anonymity of physical cash, then no purchase, donation, or investment can be free from the prying eyes of the state, combined with government control over health care and the imposition of mandatory digital IDs. The state will have created the perfect surveillance system when all human activities monitored and social credit scores are the norm. 
personal choice disappears, which consequentially leads to another totalitarian move. And whether or not you believe that anthropogenic climate change is an imminent threat or not, because this is quite disputable, energy undergirds all economic activity. Everything from agricultural production and industrial manufacturing to supply transport, shipping, and consumer shopping depends upon a constant supply of energy. If everything bought and sold across the planet were viewed as a pyramid with the most luxurious items sitting at the top, hydrocarbon energy in all its forms provides the pyramid's foundation. But now as governments seize control over hydrocarbon energy, they seize control total control over the global economy. And as soon as you realize that the state and their fascistic partners at the World Economic Forum are seizing control of our energy outside of the free market demands, you begin to understand that your autonomous ability to go from point A to point B is under threat. And it is under threat by courtesy of the totalitarian technocratic class controlling your automobile. Now, The personal automobile revolutionized the world by liberating the individual from both physical and intellectual isolation. And relatively inexpensive vehicles combined with the newly paved roads across the United States and Europe opened up job opportunities that we never had before. They opened up expanded life choices and promoted the free exchange of ideas across our continent. So is it any surprise, then that the state pushes so hard for mass public transportation and the elimination of car ownership? Is it any surprise that government safety standards and fuel regulations have made it more difficult for Americans to afford a vehicle when almost every other form of modern technology has decreased in price over the decades? Freedom of movement, like freedom of speech, is a threat to government control. And just as hydrocarbon energy sustains all economic activity, economic activity is at the heart of all human relations. In a truly free market, people exchange goods and services according to their wants and needs. When those interactions become more frequent, money with agreed-upon value, usually in the form in the past of gold or silver, is used to make exchanges more efficient and to provide a lasting store of value that does not exist when bartering with crops or livestock. So when governments replace gold coins with inherent stored value, with instead paper money, currency's worth then depends entirely upon state decree. Likewise, should governments continue to print money, the value of that money naturally declines. So in effect, the use of fiat currencies allows governments to tax their populations without ever taking a vote. By controlling the only legal medium of exchange, government inserts itself into all commerce. Free markets, once free, become controlled and no longer free. They become instead autocratic. Now, those in governmental control fear retaliation from a population that has the means to defend itself against the destruction of their money, the destruction of their wealth, the taking of their private property. And so for centuries, Americans prepared to defend their lives and prepared to defend their freedom. And that Democrats and progressive Republicans alike, like let's say Dr. Oz, 
have made gun control and confiscation one of their most pressing issues basically says everything about the direction we're heading. But to get to the point that the U.S. population would ever consider the thought that a technocratic oligarchical algoocracy is even a possibility, well, you would have to have at least a generation of young people or immigrants who would shake off their supposed constitutional longings and embrace totalitarianism. And the way that you do this is through education, through critical pedagogy. Now, Vladimir Lenin, the one who led the revolution in Russia, declared, quote, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. So, is it any wonder, then, why schools are on the front lines of all cultural battles? It used to be broadly understood in America that parents really are the instrument in determining what is taught in public schools. Now, the Department of Justice, now they target parents unhappy with the leftist indoctrination of their children's school curriculum. Objecting to the state's infusion of cultural Marxism into education could get a parent labeled as a domestic terrorist. How far have we come? So, objecting to schools' increasing exposure of young children to, let's say, as well, transgenderism and graphic sexual content can get one labeled a bigot. Objecting to young white children being taught to feel guilty for their color of their skin is now, ironically, cast as racist. And to top things off, while most Americans have ditched masks as relatively ineffective instruments for diminishing the spread of the disease, too many schools, especially in the Northeast and California, are still committed to hardwiring into the little developing minds under their control that the state may force you into mask compliance and submission on their whims on their alchemical whims. And in doing so, the education system now eliminates the role of the family in raising and educating the child. Because in a free society, the family is the basic unit for self-governance. But in a controlled autocratic society, the family is now a direct threat to the teachings of the state. And once again, as Vladimir Lenin had stated, quote, give me just one generation of youth and I'll transform the whole world, end quote. So is it any surprise then that marriage between a man and a woman has been under attack for decades? Is it any surprise why motherhood and giving birth to many children has now been ridiculed as a threat to women's liberation, whereas abortion on demand is celebrated? Is it any surprise why our culture berates men for their toxic masculinity? In other words, that masculinity that makes them defend the things that they love, that makes them fight for the things that they love and they cherish, willing to die in order to defend them. Is it any surprise why school teachers so often interfere with the once inviolable parent-child relationship, or why children are taught to depend upon government services and not their families? for their happiness. And then what about what has been at the heart of the American family in regards to their framework for the family itself? 
And you know that this is true through many traditions and families. Faith. Any belief in a higher power that is not in line with the thinking of the state is threatening to the state. If there is a higher law that takes precedence over governmental orders, then personal morality is a justifiable reason for disobeying the state. And as we recall, America's founding was a product of the Enlightenment's understanding that natural rights and liberties exist apart from and superior to the state's edicts. These God-given rights, some of which are recorded in the first ten amendments to the U.S. Constitution as the Bill of Rights, cannot be abridged or usurped by the state. For individual sovereignty and personal liberty to be extinguished then, spiritual belief in a higher power is antithetical to the goals of an overbearing government. That is, unless the state and the faith become one. And then the concept of being faithful is being faithful both to the new technocratic religion of the new supranational state. If the new state-approved religion approves of all of the things that the state does, then the state will always wield the new driving right of kings, the new technocratic oligarchical kings of the new world order, of the new society, where you must obey or else. Now, this vision of what we are now experiencing may have seemed like a distant, dark fantasy to you just a few years ago. But now, you are in the midst of all of this Orwellian tyranny and gradualistically taking control of your nation, your life, your family, and sadly, your faith. And the question, of course, is, what are you going to do about it? Well, I do have one answer that will be a stepping stone in regards to how to start taking action. And it would be to join both myself and Dr. James Lindsay in Phoenix, Arizona, this coming June. And we will be helping to educate and equip those in attendance in an intensive three-day workshop. It will be intense. And if you care about preparing yourself to be a warrior in the battleground of ideas, you will make it with us as we equip and train. Because we must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. <laughs>